Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey everyone, welcome to OMD Daily. This is the July 13th episode for the year 2020. It is a book review episode today and I will be talking about the book called The Trillion Dollar Coach, a leadership playbook of Silicon Valley's Bill Campbell. It is a biography by Eric Schmidt, Jonathan Rosenberg, and Alan Eagle. I believe all three of them were executives in Google. So, um, where to start? I'll start with the one sentence summary. Um, As a coach to the CEO and founders of many world-changing companies, the book can be summarized by the introduction to Bill Campbell's manifesto. People are the foundation of any company's success. The primary job of each manager is to help people to be more effective in their job and to grow and develop end quote so i think yeah i think that particular part of bill campbell's manifesto um really highlights kind of what the entire book is really about it and it's honestly one of my i guess favorite books on this particular topic and that translates to what i believe i would put on my rating on the time of the review to be it's that it's it's one of the few books that define personally for me what i really want to do with my life i think it was um, after reading it, for me, it's very um, not not as large as like a eureka moment, but it was still very, I think, um, inspiring. And it's definitely one of a kind book in the particular genre. Like I, I haven't found many books, let's say, uh, many stories of people who really do what I want to do with my life. And this particular book about Bill Campbell really touched upon that. So on a personal note for me, because of that extreme bias I have, um, I would rate it a 10 out of 10, but it really depends on the person for sure. Because if you really don't care about um, just the idea of investing in people and building amazing companies, then yeah, you really wouldn't like this book. But then again, why are you listening to this podcast? Because most of what I talk about is on that thread. So... I hope I have the right audience here for that and you share my enthusiasm. But I think some if you're not familiar, it would be great to give you a little more background. So um, I'll start with the chapter one notes. Um, oh, once again, if you're not familiar with how I do book reviews, I'm just going to be going over key um, topics for each chapter. I'm not going to go over everything, um, but I will provide my full exhaustive notes that I took. And once again, my notes are not about the everything in the book either they're more notes related to what i found interesting what i wanted to note um as learning material for myself personally and so if it's something that is still insightful but i thought was very obvious and it's not particularly new for me and it might have been something i covered in previous books then i might not take jot it down as a note so just keep that in mind because sometimes some chapters will have more notes than the others although they might all be equally important and impactful but once again it's limited 
by the bias that I have and the limitation of my own knowledge and my own perspective. So please keep that in mind. But definitely check out the the full book note on omdventures.com. It's under my book list as well as part of the show notes for the podcast episode here today as well. Okay, now going into the actual notes I took on the book. So chapter one is called The Caddy and the CEO, and it's it does a good job, I think, in providing a great uh, overview by the authors on who Bill Campbell is and also gives you a perspective of how impactful he was with by just listing out the people that he actually helped. And I'll list out a number of people that I think most of you listening would know about, or at least I thought were very significant for me personally, that he coached these individuals. So Bill's coached, I'm just going to rant off, um, Eric Schmidt, the CEO, the previous CEO slash chairman of Google, the Google co-founders, Larry and Sergey, Steve Jobs, Brad Smith, um, he was the CEO of Intuit, John Donahoe, of, uh, he was the CEO of eBay, Al Gore, the previous VP of the USA, Dick Costello, uh, he was the CEO of Twitter, Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, Bill Gurley from Benchmark, Sundar Pichai, who's the current CEO of Google, Diane Green, from uh, she's the co-founder of VMware, which practically runs or helps uh, the entire cloud infrastructure nowadays operate. Dan Rosenzweig of Chegg, John Hennessy of Stanford, who's also, I believe, the chairman of Google now, um, or chairman of the board of Google now, and Sheryl uh, Sandberg of Facebook, and just an entire whole list of other people. But even the people I named are the who's who of you know, the most influential companies in the world. And that's probably why he's called the trillion dollar coach because the people he's coached all tend to run companies that at one point in time were valued at a trillion dollars in market cap each. Um, if you combine them, yeah, he's been a very monumental figure in that. But, and then, so I think a big part of people, um, if they don't know about Bill, would go like, how has, like, how is he, how is he qualified to work with all these people? And the funny thing is, yeah, he isn't some tech guy. He was actually a football coach. Um, he was a football coach for Columbia University, and he wasn't good either. Columbia didn't win much games under him. Um, they didn't win any championships. And in one ways, the book kind of goes over how maybe it was because his excessive focus on his individual players um, and just creating an environment that helped everyone succeed that might have not really translated well into um, winning football championships because at the college level, it's sometimes a little more than that. And they don't really get to think long term at the college level because you're constantly churning people very quickly over a four-year cycle. But regardless, um, after being a football coach, Bill actually transitioned into the business world through an ad agency. Uh, he ends up working at an ad agency called J. Walter Thompson, which is a pretty big agency, I believe, globally. And he did this at the age of 39, which I thought was pretty fascinating um, because it's you don't hear it often for people to con- to switch careers past past 30 for example and i thought this was pretty fascinating to just kind of give an idea of the kind of person he was and even after j alter thompson i think he ended up um, taking on like sales executive jobs at tech companies and then eventually he becomes the ceo of intuit um, i'm kind of just skimming it and so the details are kind of more focused inside the book and so that's kind of more what chapter one kind of talks about, focusing on Bill's kind of early career, who he is. And I think this particular quote will also kind of give insight to um, his style. So the quote goes, 
any company that wants to succeed in a time where technology has suffered suffused every industry and most aspects of consumer life, where speed and innovation are paramount, must have team coaching as part of its culture. Coaching is the best way to mold effective people into powerful teams. And this is kind of what Bill Campbell believes. Um, now, a lot of the book is kind of, it uses quotes from Bill, but it's also what the authors who are all coachees of Bill um, interpreted from working with him as well. And in one way, it's like this quote, I think, for me, shows how when I talk to people, uh, like various executives and entrepreneurs, they always feel as if that um, coaching or just working with people one-on-one is a very unscalable thing. Like they always want to resort to software or some kind of technological tool to scale things. And the reality is that I think coaching is an extremely scalable thing that um, people who are too short-term minded might not see. And it might also be because it's intangible and which is ironic because software companies are intangible by nature, yet people continuously desire for some kind of tangible um, source. I guess like that relates to the desire for data and the obsession with data uh, without really understanding why data is even important. But this particular quote makes me think about how um, coaching is indeed extremely scalable because when you coach, let's say, five extremely high-functioning people, they will end up learning the techniques um, and the frameworks and coach people under them because that's the nature of high-functioning people. And I think that is where you continuously flower your, uh, water your flowers and pull out your weeds. Um, generally, if people aren't necessarily coachable, they probably won't really develop into high-functioning individuals. That's my personal belief. Um, they might give the appearance, but they probably won't be sustainable long-term. Moving on to chapter two, uh, it's called Your Title Makes You a Manager, Your People Make You a Leader. Um, even the titles alone kind of, I think, give you enough of a message. But I'll kind of start with um, where I pulled out the excerpt with the one sentence summary from, which is Bill's manifesto called It's the People. And the manifesto goes as such. People are the foundation of any company's success. The primary job of each manager is to help people be more effective in their job and to grow and develop. We have great people who want to do well, are capable of doing great things, and come to work fired up to do them. Great people flourish in an environment that liberates and amplifies that energy. Managers create this environment through support, respect, and trust. Support means giving the tools, information, training, and coaching they need to succeed. It means continuous effort to develop people's skills. Great managers help people excel and grow. Respect means understanding people's unique career goals and being sensitive to their life choices. It means helping people achieve these career goals in a way that's consistent with the needs of the company. Trust means freeing people to do their jobs and to make decisions. It means it means knowing people want to do well and believing that they will. End quote. And this is a very succinct, I think, framework for, I think, any individual to consider in terms of when you hire people, develop people, and what you want to do and you want to retain people. It's, I think, very simple. It's, it's actually a very simple way to even think about developing org systems. Like when you create um, any kind of system, whether it's a compensation scheme, which would al- focus on aligning incentives or even how you construct meetings, how you uh, think about creating a hierarchy, just ask yourself the this particular framework, how, you know, how is it supporting people? How is it respecting people? How is it trusting people? Does, does that system you're creating answer these um, three 
or does it support these specific three factors, um, which I believe later we'll talk about how it ties into the basic uh, psychological study of human motivation. But it's simple, but I think it's something that needs to be continuously referenced over time. And I think it's something that I will probably use to reference over time um, when I get the chance to work with individuals and people in the future. The next quote, um, so this is, let's see. Yeah, okay, I'll talk about this one. Um, So the quote goes, a 1999 article notes that firms that improve their management practices by one standard deviation above the man above the man can raise their market value by $18,000 per employee. And this is just kind of an, um, sorry. I think that's wrong. I think I got the quote wrong. It might've been a typo. This is great. This is why I do this so that I can confirm whether I typed it in right or wrong. If you hear stuff, this is me actually flipping through my notes um, on in my book and trying to find that particular quote in the marginalia. Mm. This is a long chapter, so it's sometimes hard to find. Let's see. Bear with me. Yeah, I knew it. So I got the quote wrong, so I'll read it again. The actual quote is a 1999 article notes that firms that improve their management practices by one standard deviation above the mean can raise their market value by $18,000 per employee, end quote. Yeah, it's not man, it's mean. Awesome. Glad I caught that. And yeah, I think this, like, the quote really says it for itself. And um, if you buy the book, you can find the uh, studies that they reference. Like, they have the whole... um, gambit of studies at the excerpt of the book that you can analyze but it's just one one more example of roi um this it's just always frustrating to i think speak to people who are so obsessed with you know how can i get results in the next month how can i get results in the next week if you invest in people it's just so such a short-term focus mentality that um and they try to i think brush off people as just uh, unmeasurable thing that they don't even want to try, which I think, once again, is just so lazy. Um, and it's it's actually easy to chalk it off as, oh, yeah, it's t- intangible. It's so hard to measure. Why bother with it? Let's focus on something else. Um, but there's just there actually are ways. There's enough studies that actually show that the numbers are there to support in- investing in your people. So it's... It just once again shows that when people tell you that it's not measurable and they don't really care for it, then, well, it means that they actually just don't care about investing in people in general, um, compare, contrary to what the company, quote-unquote, values say, which I've heard a lot of where a lot of founders will tell me, oh, yeah, we care about people and we want to build a great culture, but they really don't want to do anything about actually measuring performance, measuring um, improvement in people, and even believing that they they can actually make a better company investing in them. But over time, over throughout this kind of book, I'll kind of allude to various, um, I think, studies that prove the ROI of investing in people. And so this is just one example of various tidbits that I pull out. Let's see. Um, Oh, there's one thing that I wanted to mention, which kind of follows along this theme of um, I think a lot of the notes I take uh, fo- focus on the framework that Bill uses to coach people because I think there's a lot to be learned from what he 
utilizes. And when he did these one-on-one sessions with all these executives um, and managers, he had this framework where he starts with the five priority items. And these weren't just five bullet points. There were five words, apparently. And he didn't use it with everyone, but I think it was part of his coaching arsenal. And these five words would be how the coaches actually decided what they would talk about. So Bill would actually kind of prod them and ask them um, what they thought the five words should be. And this would, I think, intuitively bring out the things that were always top of mind for the person. Um, And Bill believed the one-on-ones were the best way to help people be more effective and to grow and develop. And so these sessions were, I think, very paramount in kind of addressing the core issues that people had um, regards to performance, just regards to what they felt were kind of were obstacles in their lives. Um, and I think this would be a pretty important framework to even consider um, for anyone, really, when you talk to someone. Like, what are the five priority items on your mind? So then you can really hone in and focus on the things that matter, but also understand why they matter. And I think that's also a very big part of what Bill believed as well, where you want to understand and get really personal with the person. And this leads to the kind of notes I took on the overview framework. So his Bill's methods had, I'd say, um, kind of three major elements. So the first one was the small talk, quote unquote. So it really wasn't small. Um, it was it, it was like a topic about life and it became more important than the actual business topic. So that small talk is kind of how I think the Bill and the coachee would figure out the five priority items. But it would stem from, like the rationale would stem from kind of philosophy and beliefs that the coachee had on their own life, not so much so focused on the business. And then the second part of the framework was focused on moving to the performance side to focus on what the coachee was working on, how it was going, and how Bill could help. Then the third would be the peer relationship, um, which Bill considered to be more important than those with higher ops. Um, and it was kind of going into what, you know, what do your teammates think about you? And, oh, actually, this is a four-part framework. So the fourth part was, um, the last part is when, if it's to kind of see if you were actually setting the right goals and directions for yourself and for your team um, to see if the directional um, alignment that you had made sense. And I think um, there's a whole kind of framework in page 51 of the book that kind of goes into more questions. And so it's once again, a great reference tool in the future as well for any kind of individual who wants to coach a team. And I think chapter two is kind of the chapter two and three might be the ones where I have my most amount of notes. So this is kind of long, but bear with me. Um, The next topic I want to talk about, it's a particular, it's a quote and it goes as such. Bill believed in striving for the best ideas, not consensus, intuitively understanding what numerous academic studies have shown, that the goal of consensus leads to groupthink and inferior decisions. The way to get the best idea, he believed, was to get all of the opinions and ideas out in the open on the table for the group to discuss, end quote. This also is incorporated by what Bill believed uh, is important, which is that leaders should speak last. And that's what Bill ended up teaching Marissa Mayer, um, who became the CEO of Yahoo. Um, And Bill would apparently tell uh, Mayer that it didn't matter whether she knew the answers or not. 
the whole, the really important thing is to kind of get the entire team involved through the process um, so that the people can actually talk through issues so that everyone can truly understand. And the only way you can actually understand is by actually talking it out and voicing your opinion and having your perspective heard. And only when you actually talk through with people and they can kind of come to an understanding, not so much agreement, that's when you can actually make a decision that everyone can be on board with. Because it doesn't mean that, I think that's what he kind of talks about, where you don't really want to have, need to have consensus where everyone agrees that this is the right thing to do. It's rather everyone can understand um, that the various op- what the various options are and they might disagree with the decision that's made by the leader, but at least they understand why it's being made. And I think that's the most important thing. And it, it could really be summed up to the idea that it's process over result. Um, the manager's really there to just break ties and make decisions if necessary, but really the key job is to f- run the process, foster it, um, so that all the perspectives are heard. And that, in essence, is really the most important thing about meetings. Um, like most, of, I think most studies kind of talk about how 50% of meetings are considered useless by people. And in one aspect, it could be that because, yeah, um, it's really run poorly. Um, and managers really don't do a great job of cultivating it. And they actually feel like they have to be the ones who have to constantly talk. And the last two points I want to talk about, uh, both of them are quotes from the book. So the first one is related to compensation, and it goes: compensating people will demonstrate, comment, compen, sorry, I'll say it again. Compensating people well demonstrates love and respect and ties them strongly to the goals of the company. It's the idea that compensating is just more of a, it's more than financial. It's a gesture and it's a signaling device for, and it's kind of more tied to the emotional value for a person. Now, obviously, there's kind of a sliding scale. So this would really be, I think, more applicable for companies and roles that are, that are more, um, let's say, quote-unquote, white-collar jobs, uh, where it's people who don't really... They're not, they're not in a situation where they're living paycheck to paycheck, for example, um, where $1,000 can actually make a meaningful difference. It's for people who are already making, you know, something above, like... $80,000 a year where, yeah, the, the incremental, it doesn't really matter. Like, that's how I always felt when my friends would kind of bitch about not, you know, not getting paid 5000 more or 10000 more. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, it's more, the money doesn't really matter as much. It's more so what it means to be paid a certain amount, um, what it means to be paid in certain amount relative to someone else or some other company. And it really is truly important to pay people well, um, to actually pay people less implies it could imply a lot of negative other things uh, outside of the financial realm so i think what is cool is that bill was very aware of that the importance of compensation um, because some people i think tend to ignore it and say that it doesn't matter uh, which is not true it matters but it's just it is a really difficult thing i think um, because of how emotional it is and i think many companies don't realize how much of how it's not just a factual thing it's a very emotional thing and the final quote I want to talk about from the chapter is, Bill was a business guy, but he believed that nothing was more important than an empowered engineer. His constant point, product teams are the heart of the company, end quote. And yeah, this is kind of the ethos behind um, what Bill focused on. Bill, even when he was the CEO of Intuit, uh, made sure he sat down with all the engineering directors every week to understand um, what they needed, um, to understand 
the nature of the work. And I think it kind of overlays with how the leader, regardless of whether what your background is, you have to be constantly curious. And some people might disagree with this, but it's the it for what I believe to be the focus on the revenue generating scheme. Uh, revenue generating centers and the revenue generating roles like people who are in more of the support roles um, quote-unquote cost centers um, might take offense to this and say like yeah like our jobs are just as important which is true but the people who push the company forward are the ones who are going to be building the product and they need to be the ones who are um, in the right environment to actually create the the creative products um, solve creative problems to really push the company forward because if you don't grow you die like that's plain and simple um companies either grow or shrink there there is no you know point of stasis and it's an illusion to believe that you can ever be just kind of going status quo right because the only constant in the world is change so i think a leader has to decide to put focus somewhere um, and some areas have to be priority. And I believe Bill's idea of focusing on the product team always just makes sense. And it's I think it is a contentious topic because some people um, in various departments, I don't know, like HR, finance, for example, might think like they're getting the short end of the stick. And in one ways, um, they could be. Um, and in some ways, they need to be the ones who can really demonstrate that they are part of the revenue generating cycle and that they are part of product um, for them to actually start mattering. If they do work that doesn't really contribute to that, then um, by all means, like they probably don't matter as much. Chapter three, it's called "Build an Envelope of Trust." Um, it seems quite, uh, I don't know, obvious, um, easy to understand. This chapter is about building trust. Um, I think a few points I want to talk about here. Uh, I'll start with, let's see. Hmm. Oh, so this particular quote is, is about how to make the best teams. And hint, it's not about the skills. The quote goes, The common notions that the best teams are made up of people with complementary skill sets or similar personalities were disproven. The best teams are the ones with the most psychological safety. And that starts with trust. Um, end quote. And yeah, psychological safety is a term that's referenced in the book where people just, it's, I, th- I feel like it's one of those things where you know it when you see it, it's when, you know, you just know whether you feel safe or not by being, um, to, to be honest with your opinions. And that only happens when you trust the people to do the right thing, when you trust the people um, to give you the space and to not judge you uh, in any negative way based on what you think and what you believe. And this can get hard, I think, harder the more potentially high performing the companies become because they'll attract more bigger personalities, people with bigger egos, people who've achieved more in life historically. Um, and it can be, I think, more difficult in high performing companies than it is for um, less performing companies. And the way that Bill got around that was to only coach the coachable. And the idea is to that not is to not um, focus on convince convincing people um, of these values and the importance of building trust and the importance of building a company with psychological safety, building teams of psychological safety. It's working with people who already inherently understand why it's important 
and working with them to foster that kind of team. And that leads to how Bill also kind of focused on constructing teams by putting right players into a team and pulling the wrong players out um, because it's toxic to have people who aren't coachable, who do not b- um, believe that psychological safety is important, who don't want to create that kind of environment. Then you pull those people out. Um, it might seem kind of cruel, but at the same time, that's kind of how it is. If you want to create a team of high performers, you have to find the people who want to be high performers and develop them further. And at the same time, you have to find the people who will be detractors and pull them out because they will actually be a net negative to the entire team, not to just themselves. And they can undo the progress the team has actually made. Much much of that is also my opinion. Um, but I think Bill would agree, although I've never actually spoken to him. Right, so moving on to the next topic to talk about. Uh, I'll read a quote. The quote goes... A 2016 paper finds that this form of respectful inquiry, where the leader asks open questions and listens attentively to the response, is effective because it heightens the follower's feelings of competence, which are feelings challenge, feeling challenged and experiencing mastery, relatedness, which are feelings of belonging, and autonomy, feeling in control and having options. These three factors are sort of the holy trinity of the self-determination theory of human motivation, originally developed by Edward L. Desi and Richard M. Ryan, end quote. The, the works of Edward L. Desi are something I've actually come across quite frequently in previous psychology books, and it seems that he definitely is one of those individuals who's um, pioneered or at least led the study of human motivation, and the three factors, once again, are competence, relatedness, and autonomy. And in one way, I, I do think that curiosity in leaders is a paramount, um, it's, just, it's like a mandatory requirement, I think. Um, I really don't think you can ever be a leader or coach to a team of people without actually being an extremely curious person because uh, I think this curiosity will translate to asking a lot of questions. And when you ask questions, especially questions about the individual, it is, I think, um, an indication of caring. And it's through these questions that the person can actually feel inklings of the three factors. Um, like when someone asks you, asks you open-ended questions about the work itself, you can possibly feel competent. Um, and depending on how the questions are asked, where it could actually be something to continuously push the person um, instead of just common, you know, yes, no, yes, no answer questions, but actually these open-ended questions that constantly push the person to think deeper, think critically, it can make the person feel more competent, can make the person believe that they're actually building something, developing a skill. When you ask questions that make the person, um, like, that are looking into the person's life, you can instill a, a feeling of relatability um, feeling like you you belong to a group because you're actually caring you're having an interest in the person and you can also even spark senses of autonomy where when you're asked a question about um, I don't know how you take how you lead processes how you conduct your own operations how you manage your own workflow it instills I think beliefs of control like if even if the employee never felt like that control, you can actually make them feel like they did by asking questions that are really powerful. And once again, these are I think very effective tools that leaders need to have. Um, and the idea of constantly asking questions 
reinforces the idea of motivation. Like, I think these factors can be frameworks for even building any kind of system inside a company, but they can also be um, factors to consider when you're even talking with someone. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Now moving on to chapter four. Um, this chapter is titled Team First, and the, the whole chapter is really focused on building teams, uh, just like the title of the chapter says. And I think the main point I want to talk about here is that, um, let's see, I'll actually read this quote, which kind of highlights how Bill handles coaching teams. So as a coach of teams, what would Bill do? His first instinct was always to work the team, not the problem. In other words, he focused on the team's dynamics, not on trying to solve the team's particular challenges. That was their job. His job was team building, assessing people's talents and finding the doers. End quote. So there are multiple points here that I want to highlight. Um, one particular thing is that Bill Campbell always focused on doers, um, whether it was finding coaches um, or constructing teams. It was always focused with people who would execute and not just you know, talk, but actually walk the talk in, in, in essence. And the other is just, I think it addresses kind of more the bigger, not so much problem, but um, maybe the incorrect assumption that people have with coaching is that most people, I think when they go to a, a manager or coach or just some like a mentor, when they might be asked, they might think that they're asking for advice, um, but really what they really are seeking is approval in many cases. And at the same time, if they actually do come for advice, they're really hoping the person will just solve the problem for them and just tell them what to do. And the fact is that the best coaches do not do that. Um, the focus of a coach and a leader, and a mentor, just someone, I guess, just who coaches you, <laughs> it could be a leader or a mentor or a manager, um, is to really focus on the individual, um, the person. So if it's a one-on-one coach, I think it, it's focused on the person and trying to help them understand their own programming, understand their own system. If it's a team, it's to help the team understand the system that exists, the culture that exists in that team. And the building blocks of that are the individual people. And so then assessing each individual, once again, is, is important. So in essence, the team coaching is really honing down on the individuals in that team and seeing how they play with each other in an interrelated system and if the system is broken then you have to change the parts of the system which are i.e the people and i think this particular quote kind of tackles that extremely well where yeah the focus is always on building the right team and that means building a team with the right people it's never about tackling the problem the problem will work itself out by having the right team And I'll just kind of share one particular quote that Sundar Pichai of Google says, just because I think it's a pretty powerful quote to hear from someone who leads one of the uh, most influential and powerful companies in the world. The quote goes, When I became CEO of Google, Sundar Pichai says, Bill advised me that at that level, more than ever before, you need to bet on people. Choose your team. Think much harder about that. End quote. And that's really what the job of a manager is and the job of a leader. It's about investing in people. Um, at the highest level, that is the highest level of, uh, or the most important level of any investor is to invest in people. And it just seems that many leaders are just not aware of that. <laughs> and I hope this book kind of addresses that for many who are convinced that that is true. 
chapter five, the power of love. Um, this particular chapter, I think the key point that I want to take out here, although it's it's a mix. This this chapter kind of touches upon who Bill is as well. So there's um a pretty fun section about Billisms, like the list of ten Billisms, I think. Um, where it's funny just because he's just so brash and he just swears so much. Uh, I think like his top quotes all have the word fuck in it somewhere and it just gives you an idea of the personality of the kind of guy he is and some people who are not close might feel like they're he's insulting them but it's really i think it's a sign of true love when you actually you know quote-unquote insult people or say things that sound like insults to a stranger but they really come out of a place of love um yeah it's i think it's something that has confused um my girlfriend in the past when i say things like that to like my close friends um but when i hear bill say it it you know it it kind of at least for me it gives me a sense of approval that what i'm doing is okay and that i don't have to always kind of be this uh nice speaking kind of guy which i try my best not to be um, just because that's just not who i am but the key i think topic i want to talk about here uh it's, it's a story not so much a quote but it's talking about um, how it's a section that talks about how Bill believes in the special power of founders and he knew the importance of the visions the founders had for companies and how that was the heart and soul of the company that could just not that just couldn't be replicated by those of operational excellence like the you know the quote-unquote MBA types that board members and investors like to put on into CEO positions because they think they're better at running companies just because they have high pedigree which really they don't um the reality is that it's a completely different skill set to lead and grow a company with a vision compared to someone who's only there to kind of hit KPIs. And this particular story is in the year 2000, where when Amazon's board considered telling Jeff Bezos to step down from his CEO role and let his COO, Joe Galley, become the CEO. Crazy to even think that now, but this happened. And they asked Bill to spend some time with Jeff and after months of spending time with Jeff Bezos and examining Amazon's culture and executives, Bill reports back to the board that Jeff needs to stay on as CEO. Um, and Brad Stone, who wrote the book, uh, Every- The Everything Store, which talks about, it's a book about Amazon, said, um, put in a quote in the book that said, Campbell concluded Galley was unnaturally focused on issues of compensation and on perks like private planes. And he saw that employees were loyal to Bezos, end quote. And it's fascinating, I think, just how, A, how influential Campbell was for the Amazon board members to bring him in and ask ask for his opinion and his thoughts to make this huge, important decision on, you know, do you tell a CEO, um, the founder CEO, to, you know, give up his position of leading the company and to even listen to Bill Campbell um, on his advice, even though they were very uneasy and this was a time, so I got curious and I sidetracked um, and ended up listening to this whole seven-part podcast series um, in the Business Wars podcast where you're talking about Amazon versus Walmart. And it seems like this early 2000s period and the late 1990s periods was when Amazon was now, I think, in the position of dominating Barnes & Nobles um, in book sales. But Bezos continuously was trying to push the envelope and go, okay, we, we dominate books. We're going to go for toys. We're going to go for electronics. We're going to do Prime and do like two-day shipping. Um, and it was putting a lot of people internally uh, in a very uneasy spot. And I think that's where kind of Bezos is slowly kind of trying to fire people who 
are quote unquote the NBA types who can't dream big, who are just so focused on hitting numbers that um, Bezos, I think, was considered volatile by the traditional people um, on the board and stuff. And so it's amazing how Campbell was able to see how important Bezos was to identify that talent and know that he needs to be the person to steer this company, which worked out extremely well. Now we look at it in hindsight. Um, because Joe Galli ended up leaving Amazon relatively soon after this whole incident. Um, and then, you know, he went to do some other ventures, but also kind of for Campbell to notice that Galli was more of an extrinsically driven um, manager who really didn't seem to care so much about Amazon, but was so focused on, you know, things like perks and money. And these are just never things you ever want to have in a CEO um, who's ever going to make a, you know, a company, a company that matters at least. So it's just it's just a once again a super powerful story, just reminding you of, or at least reminding me of how important a coach can be to a company and how leaders of all kinds um, need this kind of individual who can identify talent. Moving on to chapter six, the final chapter called the yardstick. Um, overall, it kind of this chapter talks about I think the overall philosophy of Campbell um, and the kind of whole reminder summarization of the ethos of the book so i'll kind of go over a couple quotes um that i think overlay that the first quote goes to be successful companies need to have teams that work together as communities where individuals integrate their interests and put aside differences to be individually and collectively obsessed with what's good and right for the company end quote the next quote is the path, to, the path to success in a fast-moving, highly competitive, technology-driven dr- business world is to form high-performing teams and give them the resources and freedom to do great things. And an essential component of high-performing teams is a leader who is both a savvy manager and a caring coach. End quote. And finally, Bill believed that great products and the teams that create them are at the core of a great company. Everything else should be in service to that core. End quote. That concludes my notes for the book. I hope this was interesting. I hope this was fun for you. And yeah, please um, check out the full notes I took on the uh, book at omdventures.com. And yeah, uh, if, if that tickles your fancy a little and or if this was enough to make you excited about the book, yeah, get the book at Amazon. Um, I don't have any links or anything, um, but you can find it on whatever Amazon, Canada, US, Korea, China, I don't know wherever Amazon sells books in your country. Check it out. Uh, take a read. Hope this was fun. Hope this was informative. And yeah, hope to have you back on the podcast again tomorrow. Take care.